So it's seven metres out. Australia needs to try to win the game. Cobain takes the line out. Australia trying to drive ahead. Regan again. And Larkham. Kefu. Hello everybody and welcome back to another episode of the Running Rugby Podcast. I've got my full crew with me, Toby and Leo, joining us for today's episode. And we have a few games to review and look back at from last weekend and looking forward to this current weekend with a whole lot of internationals starting up, really getting into the midst of the proper spring tour with Australia's first game as well. But we'll go back to last weekend, first game we're looking at was Japan versus the All Blacks and a bit of a second string All Blacks team that was sent out to for this game but final score Japan went down scoring 31 points to this New Zealand B team 69 and Leo I know you had a look at this what did you see in this game So this is the fourth time the All Blacks have played Japan which is pretty amazing I you just think that it, with the routine calendars they have they'd get around a little bit more often but uh, two teams that don't see each other very often at all and to be honest, the All Blacks B team were uh, probably surprisingly uh, lacking polish. Like you kind of, we, we've always, always recently thought that All Blacks just have this never-ending depth, and really they've got you know a backup or two for every position, and they're all just interchangeable. But aside from a few, uh, a few of the really um, stoic players, like guys like Mwanga, who just you know they they really could be an All Blacks A team player, given given an injury to Bowden Barrett. Like, these guys were a little bit rust, not rusty, a little bit loose, a little bit sloppy, um, still very, very good and obviously strong enough to beat Japan. But Japan put 31 points on them and, and found some found some weak points. And, and to me, it just looked like a few uh, extended periods where Japan held the ball, they grounded out with forwards, and then just good, good ball handling to find space out wide. It was a pretty simple formula, and they were just determinedly following through with it for 80 minutes. Yeah. Was it was it more, just to cut in, Arch, was it more the, the backs or the forwards that kind of weren't as impressive? Because I look at this back line, it looks pretty decent. There's a bit of a Hurricanes flavour there, but the forwards, some of those guys like Angus Tarval starting, Hemapo, yeah, Fafita Papali, like these guys aren't completely well-established names, so... I'm wondering from your perspective if you thought it was more a forwards or back split or just overall was it a bit less impressive from them? I think the forwards were a little bit probably on the on the on the lesser side. So the backs are very good, but even you know, they put Geordie Barrett in at full back and he was injecting himself into the line and there was one uh, one phase where he got like a nice quick through the hands across and then other times when he was, you know, having kicks charged down and passes were going stray. I mean, that's I think that that's something we know about Geordie. He's still young. He's still raw. He hasn't quite um, sort of developed into an elite like his brother. Um, but the forwards, the forwards were admirable, and they they did a lot of good work. Hemapo had some pretty good runs, but it's it's just that extra tier of skill where you've got that ball handling in your forwards is probably something that's missing. So mm. you would you would see a slightly more simplified attack and maybe yeah. a few less of those just ridiculous individual efforts if someone's offloading practically as they fall to the ground over the sideline, like less likely to see that. And But you can't build your game around that sort of one-out um, tactic. So that's just something that the really elite guys bring. I think the it's, it's just that... Um, cohesion. It's just that cohesion between those guys that they're a bit of a mix from the different super teams and, and being that they had so many debutants as well, they, they managed to blood Proctor at outside centre. They had uh, at least one other guy starting who was a... Papa Lee a de- in seven. Pa- yeah, yeah, that's it. Uh, and then all like six guys on the bench or something, five or six guys on the bench were all yeah. debutants. So it's a great opportunity, as I think we said last time, Last time we spoke off off the pod was just opportunity to blood these guys, expose them to Japan, 
expose them to the facilities and the, and the culture and the atmosphere and, you know, how good is that for the next year? Yeah, just really happy as well to see George Bridge just quickly getting an opportunity. Mm-hmm. He only played 40 minutes, but he's class and he's probably someone that's been, you know, obviously consistent for the Crusaders, but the All Blacks are so blessed with those outside backs that he struggles to get a look in at international level. So really happy for him to, to kind of get out there and, and show his show the skills that he has. Yeah, he definitely took his chance as well, got the double, um, two tries off the bench, and really I think his first touch was a try, a good backup, and then creating some things out of nothing um, in that back line. Uh, also, Laomapi, we have to mention with the, the triple, the hat-trick there, he was just running through some of those uh, Japanese defenders in that back line. He's just such a big human being. But Japan, I think the people to mention from that, I mean... Uh, guys that we've sort of seen in years past, uh, like Hendrik Tui um, and Michael Letch, stepped up again in this game. They were looking good. Um, Tamura at, at 10, as well as um, their number 12, Lafelli, looks really quite classy and quite good in defense and good in attack, um, strong runs and getting across the game line. And that's, that resulted in two tries for him as well. But definitely, I think, a step up from Japan, who's always been sort of that, what, third tier nation. Um, and looking forward to the World Cup for them, I think they'll be really quite buoyed by the fact that they have been able to put sort of four tries on a New Zealand team. Did you say buoyed? Like they'll be buoyed to do something? Buoyed, yeah. Buoy like the floaty water See, I, see, I was like, I think Americans say buoy, so you could probably say buoyed, but we would never say that. We'd always say buoyed. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That was that was odd. I didn't would never. Anyway, I loved it though. Moving it was, right it along, it was pretty good. It was pretty good. I'm moving pretty right sure along. it's probably because I've been listening to the Americans for the NFL lately. I think they do say that. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah. Japan will be uh, working hard to have obviously a pretty big impact next year. They want to impress in front of their home crowd. They have been on the rise gradually through Super Rugby and internationals. They've had some upset wins that they were never would have been favoured to upset this team. But they stayed in the game. They played for 80 minutes. They, they're not a team that gets their head down, plays negative rugby, starts just kicking it away, territory, and, and trying to play a different form of game than they're comfortable with. So if they can just stay strong mentally, then keep themselves in games. When, when the games are a bit closer and the opposition are tiring, it's that sort of attitude and effort that might just break it open and, and get you an extra W. Also, in this game, they, no, um, I think they had well an old up. friend think... on the on the sidelines, Mr. Robbie Deans, with some sideline comments to the to the commentators in this game, which is a, a voice I haven't heard for a few years. Mm. Robbie Deans, has... oh, because he is at the Wild Knights. He's been there probably for five years or something like that since he since he left the Australian job, I think, pretty much. Yeah, he has, but yeah, he's been speaking out about a couple of things. Um, with him sort of coming out about. Twiggy Forest, new Global Rapid Rugby as well, um, which we might mention a little bit later on. But being a bit more in the media, old Robbie Deans has, and you'll you'll probably see him a bit more um, in the World Cup once being set in Japan. He'll probably make his way into some commentary teams for that, I, I dare say. Now, looking forward, we can go on to the next game, probably uh, Wales versus Scotland, and this is a much less high-scoring affair here. Uh, Wales getting the win. Uh, 21 defeating Scotland, so that's the second time they've met this year, and Wales getting the two victories. Um, not quite the Scottish team that we saw in the Six Nations, not quite as uh, standout with them. I mean, they were missing a couple of players, uh, starting with a new 10, a debutant in Hastings, um, but also a bit of a new look for the Welsh team. Um, some familiar names that we would know from a few years back in uh, Super Rugby with Gareth Anscombe starting at 10 for them. And no Warburton in the back row, though. Um, so a bit of a new look back row with uh, Tip, uh, Lydiot and Tip... Tipperick. Tipperick, that's it. Um, but definitely some strong defence, especially early um, from Wales. Really aggressive defensive line, which shut down Scotland pretty early on. But even with a lot of possession, um, Wales were looking only to really take the penalties and only going up sort of 9-0 after a really solid... Um, opening quarter. Yeah, that's a behaviour we want to be paying attention to because Wales are the Waldies' first opponent on the spring tour coming up this weekend and 
they they definitely looked for penalties uh, penalty kicks inside the half. They were taking the long range ones. They weren't pushing it to the corner when it seemed like they had a few phases and together and a bit of momentum leading into the penalty. Um, and then when they got those penalties, they they built a little bit of a base, a bit of a buffer to Scotland. And then they actually opened up a bit. They started trying a few chip kicks and a few crossfield kicks just in behind the line. So that whether that was a strategy or it's just how things panned out, it's sort of showing what what we might expect from them if we can obviously shouldn't be uh, giving away penalties at the best of times. But if we do give away penalties, they'll probably be taking the points. But if they get a bit of a buffer, they're going to change their game and and take a few more risks and, and really try and press the advantage if they see space in behind us. I also thought in this game, uh, in the general, just generally with Wales, the the skills in that back line and and the just the phase play was really good. So they had really good strong cleanouts. They were they weren't committing too many people at the ruck. They were getting quick quick phase ball and something about the way they were drawing the man and passing just just felt like it wasn't it wasn't uh, sort of a measured tempo catch pass catch pass catch pass it. It was much more. Um, it was much more unpredictable. So they really would take it to the line, and then only pass it when they com- completely committed the man. And the next guy might be right up against the man, so he'd pass it on quickly. The next guy would hold onto the ball a bit longer and really draw the man, so that they weren't in some sort of um, sort of rhythm together in terms of just keeping the pass flowing in a nice even tempo. They they definitely were focused on drawing the man, and once they got that commitment then they pass the ball. And that's something which I think the Wallabies haven't done well recently. I feel like we just send the ball through the hands. It gets to the person that someone's made a call before that phase, we're going to go here. It gets to that guy and we haven't really set anything up for him. Mm. So we're going to have to be um, quite measured in defence, not not necessarily rush up hard, but be, be, be waiting for to see if that player is going to actually pass the ball and, and, be, and stay with him because they're... They're forcing us to make decisions late, and we've got to be ready to do that. Mm. Despite all that, though, like obviously they they got a couple of tries in this game. Uh, in the first half, George North busted through a couple of defenders to score. Um, but Scotland sort of came back a little bit. They had a driving maul early in the, um, or just at the end of the first half, to sort of draw in close and get up to ten. And I thought. Like, watching the start of this game, I then switched over and started watching England-South Africa, and I thought, yep, Wales have got this down, no worries. I was actually a little bit surprised how close it was in the end, um, because they looked like they were all over them, and I don't know if it's just a fact that they're taking penalties and not looking to sort of put the foot on the throat, but then Scotland scoring um, drive more try, and then late in the piece, sort of 70 minutes in, um, Wales have a guy in the sin bin and Scotland are on their line and a uh, cheeky little kick from the ruck from their halfback and they almost had a almost had another try to bring it within sort of four with uh, 10 minutes to go. And I wonder if there's a bit of a problem with that tactic. They weren't quite getting through enough and not quite scoring enough points. And if that's going to serve them the best versus, well, versus this week, but if they're coming up against the Australian team that you'd expect to be able to um, put put twenty points um, against them again. I think the um, they they definitely improved over time in that game because the the debutant halfback whose name I've already forgotten, but you said before. Um, Davies. So he he sorry not the halfback the fly half debutant Gareth fly half. Yeah. No 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 not for he's not a debutant for Scotland. Oh Hastings. Yeah. So I think he warmed into the game a bit. And and over time, maybe they they became a bit more structured. So in terms of Scotland rising a bit at the end, and and Wales maybe losing a bit of puff, um, that that may have been a factor. But you know the the Welsh the Welsh allowed them to have some chances. And I mean the, you're not expecting a, a short chip over into the in goal, particularly often. Like that's that's a pretty unusual play. Um, so maybe the fact that they weren't in a position to defend it well, they've, they've got a bit lucky that. The, the Scots fumbled it, but you know that that's not saying I'd, I'd put down against Wales. Like the thing, it's just late in the game, man down. I think that's what you can expect from from a team that late in the game. It's if the, I don't know what their sub situation was at the time, but if those guys had come on um, a bit earlier or a bit late, it may have affected their 
coordination and, and, and how tired they all were. Mm-hmm. Well, I didn't catch this one, but it seems as though it was a bit of a dour affair. There were no points scored in the last 30 minutes. Scotland mm-hmm. didn't even score a point in the second half. So you're right, Lee. If they could capitalise on that yellow card at the end of the game, put on you know a couple of ties, then you've won the game. I think Wales... It, it's interesting because they played more of a full-strength team than Scotland has here. Um, and you've got to think that Wales have done that because they know what's coming. They know they've got to prepare these guys for the Wallabies. Um, there's been a lot of chat about who should be playing 10, whether it should be Bigger or Anscombe. Mm. Um, and they off, they offered two different two different kind of things, I guess, two different skill sets. Um, and Anscombe, I think, hasn't played a lot of 10 for Wales before. I think and this could be his first game there. I'm not sure if he's played that, that much before, but he was at 15 pass because he was playing for the Chiefs as well at 15. Um, but, yeah, there's Wales have a lot of talent, and I think they're dangerous. Um, but this this game wouldn't be that fluttering for them, I think. And, and this year overall, they haven't played a lot of top sides. So I think it might there might be a bit of an adjustment in this first half um, we'll talk about the, the Wallabies, you know, in a few minutes. But I think Wales will need to come out firing and need to be kind of on their game because at the moment I don't think they've been tested by a probably a half-hearted Scottish outfit. I, th- I think you're right, Toby, and we'll talk about it a bit later with what's, what they have to expect versus uh, an Australian team that will offer a lot different to, I think, to that Scottish team they saw. But let's go on to probably the most intriguing match of the weekend was the England versus South African game. Um, so... In the end, England winning this 12-11. to 11, uh, Only one try scored in this game by South Africa. But South Africa really... I don't know if it's the fact that they were missing some of their um, UK-based players in people like Faf de Klerk and um, Willie LaRue. But they did dominate possession and territory in this game, especially in the first half. I don't think England really made it inside their 22 at all. Um, they were camped out down the other end, but... A few key missed line-out throws. Um, Malcolm Marks really missed, I think, three just from the five-meter line. Um, really stopped the a lot of the points scored that probably should have been. They should have been up, I think, at least by 10 to 15 points sort of after the half an hour in this game. But in the end, it was sort of closer to um, three all after 25 minutes. And then obviously late in the game, there was a bit of controversy with Owen Farrell as well. I think they lose a lot without Faf de Klerk. Yeah. When we saw Faf de Klerk and Willie LaRue in the yeah. rugby championship and the June tests, those guys were driving the team around. Like Faf de Klerk was controlling the backs from the ruck and driving the forwards. And Willie LaRue was involved all over the place, setting up attack, creating opportunities. And, and they definitely would have suffered without those guys, whether they had you know the next man up being you know healthy or not. And then they've got like Willemser playing a fullback, which isn't, his mm. most most uh, frequented position, so that's that's a bit unusual. Uh, it's it's you, you go from having like a really experienced guy at the back directing a bit of your traffic, getting involved where he sees good opportunities, to almost the complete opposite, and not in a bad player, but someone who's a junior in the team, far less likely to to chance their hand potentially, even if they see a good opportunity because they're thinking, oh, no, you know, I'm, I'm not the leader here. I shouldn't be doing anything too wild. I'll, I just got to, I got to do my job and I'll follow direction. So it's a big, big difference. And, and that probably stunts them a little bit. And, you know, it won't be like that forever. Obviously the players will get courage and confidence over time, but I, I think those two are, are pretty, pretty important pieces in their team. And, and I think they will be a very different beast with, with them playing in the side. Yeah, totally agree. And as for the English, like the the English the English we know they've had a an up and down year. Um, they'll be pretty happy to get away with this one against South Africa being at home in a in a situation where they definitely looked like they could have lost the game. And obviously yes, the the Farrell tackle, whether it was a, a shoulder charge or not, um, Look, I had a closer look at it again last night. I remember I, I saw the, the highlights just immediately after the match and I watched it again. And to me, when a guy when a guy positions himself as Farrell did, it can go either way. 
But you just watch one of his hands. I think it's his right hand. As he comes in, his, his hands are open like he's going to wrap arms and tackle. And then he just rotates his wrist around uh, down his forearm. So he closes his hand and he kind of and he kind of sets his shoulder. And to me, as soon as you see that, you can no longer wrap your arm properly. That's either like a, a swinging arm that's going where the, the wrapping arm should go, which is kind of a strike anyway. But it's that's what you do to protect your shoulder. That's giving you the most sort of rigidity in in that part of your body and preparing yourself for an impact. It's not trying to wrap and and tie the player up. Mm. So as soon as I see that in slow motion, I think the intent now looks like he's trying to really light, lay in with his shoulder. And I don't think he gets that left arm around in the same motion. I think it trails enough that you could you say this first this first contact is a shoulder charge. So. I probably, based on that, disagree with Angus Gardner, but I can see the mid-ground that he probably took. Um, there was a little bit there, and, and it's a pretty precious situation in England for England, possibly costing them the game. He, yeah. He was probably pretty torn on that one. Yeah, there were a couple decisions in this that I think strayed a bit away from what we've seen um, in, say, the Rugby Championship and Super Rugby this year. As far as I have seen all sort of those hits with one shoulder, um, anytime, as you say, Lou, you rotate shoulder around, make first contact with that point, and that, the same arm that you're hitting with that shoulder isn't wrapping, it's always a shoulder charge. It doesn't matter if you get the other arm around. It's normally always sort of seen as a shoulder charge. And you can go back to a few other ones. The, the one I sort of just looked at and was like, that looks a little bit similar, and it was Sonny Bill's hit versus the Lions a couple of years ago. Um, he did one of the exact same things and there's a picture of him hitting the guy he also hit the guy sort of in the head because he was already in the tackle so that made it obviously sort of two sort of things but it was a high tackle shoulder charge and he got red carded for it and you can see his left arm is completely wrapped around the player as well while he's doing it Mm. but it didn't matter in that case at all i think you make a really good point that it's in may and this may be something that the rules would benefit from is so is it possible to to shoulder charge someone if that same arm is wrapping. I would say that the, the classic shoulder charge, you, you couldn't you wouldn't be able to do that sort of motion if that arm isn't coming through because the arm's trailing. Either the shoulder's leading with the arm trailing or it's part of the tackle and it's wrapping and you can't really you can't really put the, the, the point of your shoulder into a guy mm. because you've got it you've got to come at him a little bit more chest to chest and wrap. So Maybe maybe the rule should be more like, you know, it's it's it can only be a shoulder charge if the arm with the shoulder doesn't wrap, which is what this case is. You get you get this comfort arm coming around late, but the shoulder that we're talking about, the arm attached to that, didn't come around and wrap, and that's probably what allows you to put a shoulder charge on that you intentionally leave it behind. Mm. I'd almost defy away. So I agree with you that I think that that is probably what says this is a shoulder charge because that arm didn't come with it. Yeah. And I mean, you're right, it's a high-pressure situation for Angus Gardner, and a lot of people have come out and said that... Actually, a lot of English people have come out and said, yeah, that was probably a penalty. Um, at least a penalty. Yeah, they're saying it was at least a penalty, but they'll take it anyway. And Eddie Jones was pretty chuffed with himself um, in the post-match commentary, having having probably got away with one there. But the, the facts of it is that South Africa never should have been down... Um, in this game with the early sort of possession and territory they were having, they miscued on a few things and it cost them in the end. Just uh, take your point, but I I love that hit. That was great. I thought Esther Heisen, he's, he's the biggest back they've got in that team. And the key moment in the game, I hate Farrell, but that, that hit was amazing. Um, and I actually think that it was line ball enough that it forced Gardner into a position where he had to rule in favour of England. I think it was it was actually closer than a lot of people think, and I think you're right with the the right arm being positioned as it was, but because he wrapped with the left arm, I think that kind of swayed it enough for Gardner at that point in time. Um, whether whether Gardner would look at it on replay again, you know, the next day and think that he made the right call, I feel like it might be a little bit, I don't know perturbed by by what he did but i think in the heat of the moment that's pretty tough and you're probably right that he was looking at that that second arm the left arm 
And under the rules that we have that exist now, I think you can probably interpret it that way. Although it, to me, when I look at it, I, I'm thinking, no, that's to me, that looks like a, he's set up for a yeah. shoulder charge. So I think you're probably right. that I, I don't know the rule off the top of my head, word for word. I, I understand the intent, but I don't know the technical wording of it. And you probably do have some wiggle room with mm. that um, coming around. And the, and the counterpoint is, do we want to um, penalise someone for that sort of tackle? Like, people enjoy seeing the physicality of that, and albeit it may have been um, on the on the verge of being presumably dangerous, that's why they outlaw the shoulder charge, then if, if you start pinging someone when the rules aren't clear enough to say why they're not doing it, then you're just going to discourage hits like that and people are going to get pretty confused and frustrated because they don't get it. But also yeah, Archie's point yeah, yeah. that in the past they have refed it differently. So I'm not, I'm not, we, we want not consistency from the refs. I'm not yeah. advocating blatant shoulder charges, but I think our mm. our game's gone a little bit soft. And I think seeing hits like that is a breath of fresh air. And so I like the way that that was refereed primarily for that reason that you know rugby's meant to be a tough physical game. And to see someone like Owen Farrell, it's not the biggest bloke in the world, put his body on the line in that key moment... I thought it was great. And you know how much I often detest England, but I just thought that was fantastic. I, I loved it. It won the game for them. What can I say? I mean, bravo, Owen Farrell, and he got away with it. So that's another win for game. England that yeah. they probably shouldn't have had. So, and, and I guess in that situation, we just want the game to keep going. We don't want to slow down the last moments with you know endless reviews. So having clear rules and consistency match to match means that people aren't questioning, hang on, was that a shoulder charge? It's because they would know one way or the other that it is or it isn't under the rules and they would expect the referee to do either penalise it or not based on think, past experience. Yeah. I think from a South African perspective, I can understand why they'd be pretty aggrieved by that. But even the way that it slowed the game down, I agree that, that you don't want to see that all the time. But building that suspense then having the decision go for England and seeing the way that Farrell celebrated straight away after that, instead of being, you know, being a bit gentle about it, he just went full tilt, full celebration. That, w- that was pretty cool as well, I have to say. Like I, like, I like that, not arrogance, but I don't know, they're just so intense in terms of they want to win at all costs. I think this England t- team's kind of under the pump at the moment still with Eddie Jones at the helm. Um, Eddie brings that kind of edge to his teams, and I think in that way as well, it was um, it was a good spectacle. Let me just say that. Brats hate to lose. No, yeah. in, the totally. end, in the end, you're right, though. Like, England, they squeaked a win out here where you probably, probably <laughs> wouldn't have expected it, and I definitely didn't expect it from early on. Um Let's look at the last game of the weekend, a much more one-sided affair, and that was Ireland versus Italy coming out of Chicago in the US and Soldier Field, and um, Ireland taking this one away, 54-7, to um, Italy only getting one try, which was an intercept to their captain, Campagnaro, um, but a bit of a breakout game for 21-year-old Jordan Lamour for Ireland. Oh, yeah. Um, he, he, he really exploded, particularly late at the game. Um I guess, and any any fan of rugby would have loved watching him, regardless where you're from. That that's the sort of guy, the sort of skill set, and the sort of intent. Like one one or two of those in every team with the license to do what they do best, and how good how good will international rugby look? Um, Italy, I'm not going to spend much time talking about them. Uh, maybe maybe more next week before the Wallabies game, but they're not. Obviously, the strongest team. They're disappointing to me primarily because I don't see much improvement year on year. I don't see much change. They're sort of in the game early on when everyone's fresh, but they definitely deteriorate and the score blows out. And uh, it's just, it's to me, it's a bit uninspiring. Um, I mean, there's other, there's probably other teams in the world, and there might even be people who look at the Wallabies and say the same thing in the recent years. But I just don't see any evolution of that team they're just they're just not competitive i think this, and that's been all i can that's see that's been the and, case for a long time now yeah like absolutely five, six and, years. and teams can have periods where they're not competitive but 
if you're not seeing any progression at all, even even you know glimpses of it, even if they can't put it together for 80 minutes, like it's just really disheartening. So for Italy as a rugby nation, like I, I struggle to see. Uh, maybe that maybe they're not getting the support and the and the focus in their in their administration that they that they need to mm. you know try and really challenge in the Six Nations. That each each year there's rumours that they're going to change the Six Nations and Italy's going to drop out and Georgia's going to come in or America's going to come in or something crazy. And you think Italy are always on the chopping block because they're not showing anything. So disappointing, but a you know a good warm up for the Irish, I guess, and and an opportunity to take it to America. Let those American commentators butcher the terminology. <laughs> yeah, that you're you're right. It's exactly what I was saying for Japan taking steps forward and sort of stepping up is exactly the opposite from what we've seen from Italy. And like we obviously don't get to see a lot of their games. We see these uh, sort of spring tour um, obscure sort of games. I don't tend to catch a lot of their Six Nation games because. In the end, there's not they're not particularly games that you usually want to watch, and there's not real big superstars in that team that we've sort of seen come through and make a big impact. We've lost a bit of the sort of uh, well, I don't know. In in years past, you had sort of the Sergio Parise in their number eight. You had sort of the Bergamasco brothers for several years, and they don't seem to really have anyone that they sort of cling to and there's big sort of names lately. It's kind of like Argentina a few years ago, several years ago, going back, where you, you kind of didn't think much of them, but they had some names, they had some some personalities. But then places like Argentina being, you know, they've given been given the path through the rugby championship to become a stronger team, to be playing stronger teams more often. Japan have got a World Cup coming up, so there's heaps of investment and effort into making sure that they're a good product for that competition. Maybe Italy needs a World Cup. Maybe we need to have a... a World Cup somewhere near enough to Italy that they start dumping some money into it and and putting some focus because I just don't think at the moment they're already in the Six Nations. Yeah, coming last every year doesn't seem to motivate them. What else is there that'll drive them into a bit of uh, you know a step change in in how they're running their system? Yeah. Well, you've you've got to think as well. Having they have two teams in the Pro Pro Fourteen, um, and there is obviously chat with South Africa if they were to leave Super Rugby and move into that Northern Hemisphere, then Italy might even lose their presence in that competition, which yeah, could, even start, could even start a rot even further um, at, at that domestic level for Italy. So they're lacking, I think, a lot of talent and depth within their squad and coherence because they don't play a lot together. Um, and probably their top players are strewn around different teams in France, so they don't actually get a lot of time together. But yeah, I think who knows who knows what's going to happen in the future. But you you want to see that passion back with teams like Italy, teams like Argentina. We see that resurgence with Argentina, and Italy can do that. It'll just take a few years. Mm. If they if they get their guys in the international team or the guys they expect to select as part of that squad back into those two top fourteen teams, it might be like this: the Japanese and the Argentinians. They're driving more of their homegrown players into teams where they build combinations and um, develop familiarity in that way when they are an international team playing against other people they've got a chance at, uh, a at being being cohesive in, in mm. attack and defense just just quietly bring back um, Craig Gower oh no do not bring back Craig Gower <laughs> he probably started the rot he was he was not not good <laughs> Back to the Panthers. <laughs> All right, let's let's go forward and look at this weekend, and we get an Australian game to look at. So let's start with that Australia versus Wales coming out of Cardiff. Um, this is obviously a precursor to us versing them in the World Cup next year. Um, these are probably the top two teams in Pool D, along with Georgia, Fiji, and Uruguay. But what do we think? We haven't got the team list out yet. Do we expect to see um, a similar starting lineup to? Last uh, two weeks ago versus the All Blacks, do we think that um, Karebi's gonna get the start at thirteen? What are you guys thinking? Oh, Arch, you just you've done the job for me. I was gonna fire a quick question at you. Does does Karevi start at thirteen? And and my answer to that, I think, is yes. I think that he's if he's healthy enough two weeks ago and, and with no setbacks, which we haven't heard anything of, I think he's back in the thirteen and they put Falau back onto the wing. 
Agreed. Agreed. What about yeah. uh, all right? Next next question. Keep going. Does Jack Dempsey make his return to the starting side? Has he done enough to displace Hannigan or any Ooh. other player and, and steal a number six position? I'd like still, to say it. I'm not sure. I'm not fresh. sure if he has yet, but I think it would be a bold call that actually would pay off for the Wallabies because Hannigan, although he probably helps a bit more at lineout time. I think around the paddock and, and ball carrying wise, I think Jack Dempsey would offer a lot more. So I'd like to see that change, Leo. I think it's a props cartel keeping Dempsey out because he's heavier than Hannigan and I don't want to have to lift him. I think he's just as good in lineouts. He goes up in a lineout and does a good job. Fair enough. I think he'd, he'd definitely be very useful, especially to counteract that Welsh back rower um, that are going to be pests around the ruck all game for this. So he'd be a really good defensive sort of option to make sure we keep securing our own ball. That's it. And then I think I think Coleman's back in the second row, so that's going to be another change there. And we, we probably think see Simmons back on the bench. And we still think we'll have CO. Is TPN going to come back in? And are they going to keep Alatoa starting? That the the CO Falafainga Alatoa combo. That's a Brumbies front row. So whether that plays a role in the selections, if you bring TPN in, does that mean Sakopi should be backing it? A tight head. I think I think TPN might come off the bench. I feel like they might give Fyinger another chance, um, just because okay. TPN has had limited time back with the squad, because um, he's been been back for for Leicester. Um, but yeah, you could easily see them going either way with that. Um, again, it's it comes down to whether Taniela Tupo will start. I don't I don't know if. I don't know what they'll do with that because at some point they're going to make a permanent transition to him starting at tight head. But as we've seen, he, he tends to peak when he's coming off the bench. He peaks in the second half there. And these these opportunities when he's been starting, you probably haven't seen him being as dynamic around the park. Um, I think his scrummaging without question is he's one of the best scrummagers around at the moment. But I think in terms of around the park, he might offer more coming on when people are a bit more tired in the second half. It wouldn't surprise me at all if he does remain in this sort of bench bench injection role um, rather than starting because he's so young. He's got heaps of time to get his to get his chance at you know fifty test caps as a starter sort of thing. There's no rush, and if that's where you're getting the most out of him as a young buck, then then I can see Checker just allowing that to happen and it's it feels like you're leaving someone better on the bench but if you're getting it's more about if you're getting the output from Alatoa or Kepu like it's you will get something from Taniella but can you get the starting 50 minutes out of someone else so you don't have to put him in at this point because you because you seem to get more impact off the bench and and I didn't think Alatoa was was too bad last game against the All Blacks I know Toby you're not a fan I don't think he's a he's not a big name. He's not someone you notice a lot, but I don't think he he failed too many tests. Um, maybe maybe a little bit more work rate, but I I think yeah. he was there and doing all the right things. Someone like Scotty Seal yeah. is just a bit more visible. He's a bit bigger, and he, you just see him putting the tackles in. I think Alato is in there as well. I I don't see why you know having you'd start Kepu, I think, playing fifty minutes, bring the, on Taniella for thing thirty. Is, the thing is, Kepu hasn't performed that well when he's been given that options at starting this year that's what we were thinking earlier in the year but last week or well, two weeks ago you saw Taniella and Kepu come off in that limited minutes role and it may be that Kepu's approaching that time in his career where he's not a 50 60 minute player he is more of a 30 to 40 minute player and it may be that off the bench is the best sort of role for him because he is a dynamic but player he's, not, when a, he has he's not a loose head he's not a loose head as well which I think could pose a problem against these Northern Hemisphere teams. Mm. I don't know how different it is really. People say that playing tight head is harder and they value tight heads more. So maybe if he's not completely on form, maybe him going into loose head in the second half for 20, 30 minutes is a safer option Mm. in terms of scrummaging and set piece. Maybe that's why they're doing it as well. Um, But... Yeah, look, you're right. Alalatoa hasn't let us down yet. I just don't see him being yeah. as dynamic with ball in hand as he is perhaps for the Brumbies. I'd, I'd like him to kind of mm. step it up in that area. 
Yeah, we'll keep an eye on him. And actually, something I haven't paid a lot of attention to is his work at lineouts either. So I should be having a quick look. And I think he's in the back. Um, I think he's at the back of the lineout lifting deep. So if, if we're missing throws and getting the man up late out there, if it looks like a, a lifting issue, then maybe maybe that's a weak spot for him. I'm not pessimistic. I'm sure he can do a good job. What about the backs? So yeah. now we've got these extra guys in the backs. Someone, someone, Adam uh, Ashley, Adam Ashley Cooper. It's Adam. Swoopy. Familiar with this man? Adam Swoopy Two Dads. Is that is that his name? That's yeah. see, that's what I thought he was called. <laughs> this Adam. I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, it's Adam Swoopy Two Dads. That I know who that guy is. <laughs> yeah, do you reckon? So he good to the have him back, but. Will he make the twenty three? Exactly. Ooh. What's what's happening? Is he is he there to help uh, develop some of our younger guys and and have a bit of veteran support and ultimately, um, you know, experienced reserve if we need it? Or do you think he is he is he there to play off the bench or or even start? He won't start. There's no way. I don't think if you're putting if you're putting Samu in at thirteen, unless you're going to throw. Two dads in at 13. I don't think you'd start on the wing because then you've got Flower coming back to the wing and Corabidi's definitely not going to lose his place. Um, I think it's that 23 spot that's up for grabs because I think it you're going to have a halfback, a backup halfback there, and I think you're going to have Matsumura there at 22. So I think it's the 23 spot that you can debate a bit more closely. Mm. But that's, that's then putting him over a couple of um, younger guys in Jack Maddox and Tom Banks or whether Sefar earns the spot yeah. um, to stay at 23 as that impact player after a good performance two weeks ago. I, I have my doubts that he sort of deserves to make it back in. I think at this stage, it's probably um, you're not going to see him named on that team sheet. Well, do you go all out and put Jordan Patea there at 23 as well? There's That would be a bit of a risk. But, um, yeah, I mean, there's good to have options, but... You feel a bit sorry for Tom Banks, who's been sitting there and only getting a limited time, and now someone like Swoopy comes in and maybe pushes him down even further in the pecking order. To be honest, I I don't because I'm not totally settled with the Foley Beal combination. I I made my bed a few weeks ago on the pod and said I actually think Beal belongs in that sort of 23 utility role. I I, I don't like him in 12 anymore. I've I've it's gone sour for me. I don't think it's a it's a critical thing, but it just it just doesn't sit well with me anymore. And I think if you've got these guys that are all a bit utility, like you've got Falau who's a back three utility, you've got Beal who's like an inside backs utility. It feels very different to other teams where they've got guys who are specialists in their position and do those jobs really well. And then you've got a choice to either have more specialists on the bench, but generally someone who's a little bit more flexible to cover so it gives you options to change the back line late in the game if you have an injury or a guy is just off a bit or just someone's getting tired and you go with your plan but you drop that one guy into one of the positions that he knows if he's a utility and you don't have to move half your back line to account for it whereas we seem to have to rejig things so you know Matt Tamur comes on oh he's on for Foley so now Beal goes to 10 and Tamur's at 12 and now the 12 13 Chatter is a bit different because it's no longer Beal, Karevi, say. Um, I think, You're probably I think advocating the, the future, for I think the future, yeah, well, I think the future is guys like Tom Banks, Jordan Patea, like they, they should be start, hopefully they're good enough to start in their role and then you do get someone like Ashley Cooper off the bench or you do get someone like Beal off the bench and they can cover a lot of things, but they're the only ones who have to do more than one role, be prepared during the week for more than one function and so when it happens it's still expected for them and it's not oh god this person's got injured that's the one combination we didn't really we hoped didn't happen like you can't have that that's the whole the mentality will turn completely the guys will be like of course bad luck to us we, we always happen to get this really awkward injury now we've got to rejig things we haven't practiced like this mm. all that sort of stuff I, I don't like that i want us I want us to get towards having specialist guys and specialist roles, not having to move guys around in defence to hide deficiencies. Um, I don't think we're on, there yet. On, so the I, I think I think Tamura there, ends up staying on the bench. On the on the flip side, if you're too specialised, then if someone goes down at thirteen, there's no one to step in there. If you no, don't have an outside centre on the bench, no, no, that's the utility yeah, but, on the bench. Yeah, fair have enough. Have it on the but, bench. Don't have it sprinkled throughout your starting side, so that when there is then, a change. There's a whole lot of change. 
then the only person really that would fit the bill for that utility role at the moment would be Adam Ashley Cooper. That's right. But well, I don't think you, you would put... 13 winger or fullback. Yeah, but I don't think you do put Adam Ashley Cooper in this side because you've got the utilities still starting. It's a, it's something that's... This is this is a future setup that I I wish we would work towards. Yeah. Yeah. With what we have now, I don't think you have Ashley Cooper. I think you have Tamua. I think you have... Um, if Maddox's hand is all right, that'd be my choice. Otherwise, Sefer probably retains the 23 jersey. Hmm. So I think you that's wouldn't, probably you the wouldn't have Banks there just because he doesn't have the connection. Because, I mean, it makes... It I would of... like to have Banks. Mm. But Sefer did actually play well. Like I, I, I rank Sefer not that highly. But he played well last time we saw him. He was he was good. So I I can't criticize. He deserves another go. Well, if you, if you're advocating for the least sort of movement, because you'd be expecting probably Karevi's probably not going to play 80 minutes in this game, even if he's sort of full fitness, you'd be thinking that you'd have to be planning for potentially him not to play 80 minutes. Um, but then you'd be looking at taking him off, probably moving Falau in, and if you only have Banks on the. Um, on the bench, then you're moving DHP to wing probably and putting Banks in. So if you're advocating against sort of all those changes, I guess you you're moving against someone like Banks on the bench. I'm advocating against them long term. I understand the position we're in now. We're built to do it, not the way I'm talking about, yeah. which is a bit frustrating to me. Mm-hmm. So we will do what exactly what you said, and everyone will shift around, and it will be planned, but it's also disruptive particularly if DHP thinks he's having a ripper at fullback and then suddenly he's on the wing, he's not getting the ball. Like, I just don't like that generally. It's it's a style I, I, I can't, doesn't rest well some, with me. But, but it's how we're building that's, it. That's how we're constructed. So it's what we've got to stick with, I guess. Something that's really good is that we have Tamua coming back. I think that's really important because that it just extends our playmaking stock so much. Um, if Bill's having a bad game, we take him off and there's no problem the with confusion. that. No, 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 right. no. He does. he's a specialist 10 and 12, and he's there if we need him. Um, and he can probably cover 13 because he's got strong defense anyway. So that's another consideration to take into account. But, yeah, I think these three, being Beal, Tamua, and Foley, are going to be the three to take us through the World Cup. I think we've got to play them as much as we can. Mm. We've got to we've got to test out combinations, which we've done a little bit already. Leah, I think you'd be keen to see Foley and Tamua get a bit of time, and whether then you drop Bill back to fullback or something like that. But you know, these are fullback all these are be all things 12, we can talk but, about. Yeah, we'll see whether they do any of this on the spring tour because Checker has picked a pretty full strength squad. He's not messing around. He knows he needs to win these games, so they won't test things out too much. I think. Yeah. But at the same time, you know what? It is the time to tinker a little bit because we're still a year away from the World Cup. Yeah, that's right. Mm. So what do we expect in this game? Um, what do Australia need to do to get the victory here? Defence. Defence and discipline. Tries. Discipline. Yeah. Do not give the penalties to Wales. Don't let them accumulate and build some momentum. And the set piece is going to be important. I think we've fixed that <laughs> up enough in the scrum, particularly if we can... Be, you know, if we're par at the line out, I think we're going to get by on that. Then it comes down to not conceding points because Wales can punish you off the counter as well. Not making those errors, being disciplined. We're going to score points. Look, we've got the creativity, we've got the finishes there. We can score points, but we just can't leak points like we have, you know, over the last couple of years. Yeah, I'm going to go. So I think discipline, but specifically discipline at the ruck. There was some chattering around the referee circles that they were going to ref coming through the gate a bit better. Now, I didn't really see that in what I saw from last weekend, but if it suddenly becomes a factor, that's something where things have gotten a bit loose. And when we're weak at the ruck, we're going to come. people are going to come trundling in from the side, trying to roll guys over, and it's just going to be, it's going to be a, a habit that we have to break now before we start getting penalised for it. So ruck, discipline at the ruck, being effective when we're in attack, uh, and, and getting that quick ball, and yeah, then the opportunities will definitely come. And defense is always we we have to keep the All Blacks and the Springboks out of out of our twenty two. If we can't defend against Wales, then we're we're really in a worse situation than I thought we were. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, I think I think you're right. Defense and getting that quick ball for Genia is what it allows him to manage the game as well as he as well as he does when he's sort of on top of it. 
And he might have to do a little bit of clearing out every now and then, not just stand there and watch a guy come through and pick it up because his forwards didn't arrive. Uh, I, I think... that's, that's not really helpful, Will. Maybe maybe put your shoulder in and let someone else be halfback if you have to. I think that's something. Yeah, he's could, very guilty could, of that. You could point to most he watched, nines. He watched the guys three three times last game. He just watched someone come through and stood there like, guys, come on, who's cleaning out? It's like, Will, you're the guy right there. You need to clear out and the next guy can do your job. <laughs> that's that's infuriating. That's probably that's a lesson you could teach. He gets there months. probably too much. <laughs> Fifty gets in there too much probably. You're not, but he you're does not do that it. precious at halfback that you can't do a clear out just to secure the ball. <laughs> Jake Gordon, get in there, son. Yeah. <laughs> I was wondering when that name would come up. Okay, what what are you guys tipping for this one, Australia v Wales? Australia by six. I don't think we blow them out. I think we struggle because we're a bit special, but we um we we will still get get up and we'll be within beating. We'll be within distance of being beaten late in the game and we'll be panicking, but I think we hold on. I'm very I'm very tempted to pick Wales just because I think if I pick Wales, then Australia will win. Um, I think it's going to be really, really tight. Bookies have got Wales slight favourites. I think the Wallabies can do it if they play well, but I think it's going to be narrow if they do it. It'll be, say, three points or something like that. See, I, I see Wales is that team where we always turn it on. I mean, what is it? It's 13 games now um, that we've won against them in a row. We've not lost to them in almost 10 years, I believe. So I think we we will be able to turn it on. This is the first game of the spring tour. The guys will be hyped being up in Europe. They've had a week off. They've had a week to watch Wales and plan for this. I think the Wallabies are going to get this done by 15 to 16 points, I reckon. They're going to take take the game away from them and score some late tries and pack on the points. So watch to find out. Yeah. 15 to 16 points. That's very specific. It's a good range you've got going there. <laughs> I was going to say tries. I was going to say 15 to 20, but I thought that was too big a range. That's ambitious. I mean, you never know with Australia. Sometimes we just explode mm. and score Toby, 45 points. Toby, we said we said like three and six. That's more specific than 15, 16. At least he's giving himself a range. Uh, specific range that he's offered there. <laughs> no, it's good. Good job, Arch. What are, what are the other internationals Thanks, we've got coming up? All right, so other games here, and we'll blow through a few of these. Um, I don't think we need to talk too much. There was Italy's playing Georgia. Um, what do you guys Georgia. think? Georgia. Uh, I, I think Italy will take this, even though they're, they're pretty terrible. Georgia's still probably developing. I'm going to go for the fly pick on Georgia, winning, getting it away. Scotland versus Fiji. Scotland will do it easy. In I Scotland? Think. In Scotland. Scotland will pick at a... Field. Yeah, Scotland. Mm. Fiji, very good. Mean, the Drua have just come off NRC, and, but um, yeah, yeah, I think Scotland with a full strength at home. Mm. Yeah. Be, be interesting to see what Fiji do with that. Um, next, probably the biggest game of the weekend outside the Wallabies game. England taking on the All Blacks, and that's at Twickenham. All Blacks by 32. <laughs> Destroy <laughs> them, brothers. Oh, I'd love to see that. <laughs> I think it's going to I think it's gonna be All Blacks by about two tries, 14 points or something like that. That's what two tries is. Converted tries. Well, the the weather at the moment in London is, re- is set to rain on Saturday. Um, about 13 degrees is starting to get a bit colder up there. So you All may see... Bit... 27. <laughs> well, it's, it's, raining. it's raining already. It's going to be raining most of the week. So it's going to be a damp track. It's going to be, I'd say, around 10 degrees. So it won't be crazy cold or anything like that, but it'll be slippery, um, which could help England a bit. But we know as well New Zealand can handle those conditions. Mm. To be honest, it'd be news if it wasn't raining. Yeah, that's right this time of year, man. Yeah, it's good times. Nice. But yeah, I think we all expect All Blacks there to take that. Um, other games, USA versus Samoa. And that's in USA, I think. Start de... Dionetta. Wait a sec, let me check. <laughs> I have I no feel, idea. I feel Google is. coming on. Yeah, Is that in Montreal or something? That's... Who knows? Oh no, it's in Spain. <laughs> what? <laughs> Unless there's multiple. USA versus oh, Samoa. Shit, bro. Spain. Is in Spain. 
Yeah. No, that can't be right. Seriously, I think it might be in Spain. There might be something with the same name. Maybe, but why is there a Spanish name? Yeah, man, it's in San Sebastian in Spain. Oh, sick! San Sebastian is killer. That's I just bizarre. go there to eat, but that's I didn't even know that a stadium. That's bizarre. Uh, I'm tipping <laughs> to there be food and a siesta. That's all I can think of. Yeah, both these teams will be drunk um, and full. <laughs> so, but I think man, I'll take some more. They should I'll have the class to be so. Yeah, I'm taking some more. Yeah, I'll take USA in that um, thing. I think USA are going to be quite a, a lot stronger in this next year's World Cup. I think they're they're coming up a bit stronger. I think um, the US market's dumping money into that program. Next is probably another good game. I think Ireland versus Argentina. Out of the Aviva. Yep, and that is in Ireland. In Dublin. Are you sure, it's not in Iceland. I'm still no, trying to double, still trying to vet that whether it is actually, but <laughs> it's, uh, Ireland, Ireland by Ireland by twelve, Ireland by twenty. They'll do it well. They're, they're a good team. Really, they're I think I think these are two teams that play pretty similar a lot of the time, and they're sort of backline play. They're very sort of well, from what I saw in Ireland this last weekend as well. Um, it depends, I guess, if they're bringing back people like um, Connor Murray and Sexton and things, or going with these these younger guys like Carberry and um, obviously giving like Lamore another start. Uh, whether we'll see the really sort of hard nose, hard edge sort of slowing it down and making sure they get the win versus a bit more throwing around, a bit more expansive play. But I think that would be an interesting game to see. Well, Argentina lost to Scotland at home by 30 points in June, and this Ireland team's a lot better than the Scottish team. I know, I know, Argentina's improved a little bit, but I think at home Ireland are pretty much untouchable at the moment, apart from the All Blacks. Yeah, fair enough. But that was an, uh, definitely an Argentinian team in flux, and they just then they lost their coach after that. But since Mario's taken over, they've been a lot closer. Um, against sort of the Springboks, against New Zealand in New Zealand, obviously winning against. Um, us in the Gold Coast as well. But yeah, I think Ireland will, will take the win. I think it might be closer than you think, though. Uh, next game is France versus South Africa. Yuck. No, actually, this will probably be a really good game. Um, if the South Africans, they assume they still don't have Faf and still don't have Willie LaRue. Um, the I French, we know... Possibly they have them back? back. They possibly might have them back. I I can't confirm that right now, but I if, think it's more likely to be playing this week. If they do, then I'm definitely in the in the box camp, um, and I think that's probably a probably an eight point margin, maybe maybe slightly shorter than that. But the the French, you know, we saw them playing New Zealand down in New Zealand, being competitive aside from when their team was getting sent out of the stadium with red cards. Um, they don't they don't feel like the underdogs to anybody, and at home they're uh, if they pull it together. I'll definitely challenge them. I think I think on consistency, the box more recently, or not that that's saying much because they're not super consistent, but I think they can probably handle the French at home. So they, so Willie LaRue, Faf de Klerk, um, Cheslin Colby and Mostert are all available for this game in Paris. Ooh. Yeah, I think... Box, I think box by plenty for me in this one. I think they'll be angry with the result coming out of Twickenham last week. And I think they'll look to punish... Uh, Probably a bit of a sloppy French team that it, that's known to concede points. So France can keep it tight early on. Maybe they'll they'll have a chance at um at kind of upsetting the Springboks. But I think, you know what, I'm going to pick the Springboks by thirty points. Wow, thirty. Thirty's a big good number. team. It's a good team. All right, I'm sticking with my eight. I, um, is there any more games, Arch? That's probably all we need to really cover. We've probably gone long enough this week. And we'll, we might touch a bit more on this global rapid rugby, this new comp that's coming out next week from Twiggy, Twiggy Forest. Um, looking like it's going to start up in early January with some preseason games um, and teams coming from as far out as Hawaii all the way to Malaysia and Singapore with the other sort of expansion ideas after 2020. But we'll get a bit more information and 
have a bit more of a look at that next week. Until then, guys, um, make sure to follow us on Instagram at Running Rugby Podcast and follow us on Facebook and on Twitter at Running Rugby Pod. Uh, you get a whole lot of extra news, a whole lot of updates, and you'll be able to see what's going on with all these games and in the lead up, especially with any controversies that I'm sure will arise from this weekend. Other than that, guys, make sure you're subscribing to us on these uh, podcast accounts. You know, we're on Spotify, we're on Apple Podcasts, we're on Stitcher. And make sure to leave us a review and rate us five stars. We always appreciate that. Um, We'll be looking to get a few questions in from some of our loyal listeners and have a bit more of a uh, discussion and answer what you guys think about um, what's been happening within the Wallabies camp and what's what are we chances looking like towards the World Cup. Until then, guys, let's have a watch of some of these games. I know it's early morning for a lot of us, but I'll definitely be getting up at least to watch Australia v Wales this weekend. Uh, hopefully we see a couple of great games and a, a good win for the Wallabies. Other than that, guys, keep on running. Run. Go to the Wallabies. Go on, the Wallabies. Come on, Checker, keep your job.